So uh, as I was saying, I'm just grateful to be here. It's been a real blessing for me to get to be with you for uh, these weeks, and I'm looking forward to uh, the, the coming weeks that I have with you. And as you've already heard mentioned, uh, we are doing a little walk through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so I do encourage you to have a Bible open before you or your Bible app open. It will be uh, in chapter 3 today. And if you want a hard copy and don't have one with you, there's some really nice Bibles on the sides over here. You're, you're welcome to help yourself to that. And so here is our prayer. Lord, give me ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that comprehends, and a heart that responds. All right? You're prayed up? You ready for God to speak? Uh, we have been talking um, about what's true uh, in contrast to what's false. Our, our culture has a strong narrative, a strong message that we hear like almost 24 seven. Uh, and it basically gives shape to our lives unless we have another voice, a stronger voice speaking truth into us. And that's our Lord. And so uh, that's the kind of thing Paul was trying to get at with these Colossians uh, because they were living in a day with uh, significant heresy, falsehoods uh, being uh, spoken around uh, and into their lives uh, consistently. So we began talking about what's true about you with respect to what God says about you. And then we talked about what's true about Jesus there's a lot of caricatures out there about him, and we need to know the truth about him. Then last time we were talking about what's the true hope in life. Um, today, we're going to zero in on the life part. What is the true life that we have? I don't know if you've ever said this, but I have heard some number of friends from time to time to say, such and such, fill in the blank, is my life. Maybe they said their spouse is my life. My children are my life. Some have said, uh, perhaps looking down a little bit, to say my career, my vocation has been my life. Uh, friends, if something is your life besides Jesus, that something cannot sustain you. That something cannot carry you through the days and the years that uh, are numbered for you to be in this world. Others have uh, been responding to the marketing voice that is always on, saying, uh, you'll be okay if you have this. You'll be happy if you have that. And so we have some number of our friends, maybe we've been on that journey from time to time as well. If I just got the right house, if I just got the right car, uh, if I was just in the right neighborhood, uh, if I was able to get the girl, if I was able to get the guy, if I was able to get the corner office or the title, if I was able to get the retirement package, everything would be okay. Getting the next thing is not the answer. So what is the true life that uh, we have been so graciously given uh, Paul's going to uh, speak with a lot of clarity about that. And so just to quickly remind us, 
All of this is found in a letter that he wrote to a group of believers in a small town called Colossae. He was in prison at the time. He uh, had been spending time with a strong believer by the name of Epaphras who came from Colossae. And so he's telling him, he, uh, Epaphras is telling Paul stories about what's going on in the church in Colossae. Paul had never been there. And so to speak into their lives, to encourage their lives, but also to clarify what's true in contrast to the false things you're hearing from, from heretics, he uh, writes this letter. So we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 3, verse 1 today. And let us uh, give our attention to the Word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if there's any confusion about what should be your life, Paul's very explicit. Christ is your life. The first thing he does is he exhorts us, be heavenly minded. Now, uh, no doubt you've heard that phrase so-and-so is so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. Anybody hear that before? That was actually coined a long time ago by Oliver Wendell Holmes. And it basically is uh, an echo of a cultural narrative that says, uh, hey, if you're going to make it in this world, you've got to be rooted. You've got to be grounded. Get your head out of the clouds. Get your head out of the skies and the heavens. Get practical. Get real. And so uh, that's the notion from whence that comes. And Paul would say, no, it's just the opposite. You want to set your mind on Christ. You want to set your mind on things that are above uh, because that is then what will give shape to who you are. Now, he's going to get into an analogy that he'll uh, not only use here but in some other writings where when he talks about the Christ life, in you, he compares it to like changing clothes. And so you have taken off some old garments and you have put on some new garments. And what he's going to contend for in the text today is that the way that that garment change happens, the way that life change happens is by you being thoroughly heavenly minded. So you'll be able to put off immorality and covetousness and anger, and he's got a whole list of things he's going to get into. The case, then, is the heavenly-minded are the most earthly good. If uh, in the process of you focusing your heart and your thoughts on Jesus, he transforms you, so that you become the person that God intended from creation for you to be, then friends, that is the best life for you to bring into this world. And if there's a whole community of us on that same pilgrimage, that's the best group of people that you can bring into this world for the betterment of others and for the glory of God. And so 
be heavenly minded. What we want to talk about over the next few moments are this. Uh, why is that so important? What's the need for our being heavenly minded? And then what exactly is that? What's the nature of being heavenly minded? And then we're going to wrap up with how do we do that? What's the practice of being heavenly minded? So first of all, with respect to the need, why is this so important? Uh, perhaps you will notice, particularly if you have a literary bent in you and you, you appreciate reading uh, good stories, there's a common arc, there's a common uh, way that storytelling happens that you'll see over and over again, and it involves an ordinary person, ordinary guy, ordinary girl, who suddenly are transported, if you will, into another part of the world or to another world, if it's sci-fi, uh, and there they behold beauty like they've never seen it before, or they behold darkness and evil like they've never seen it before. Whatever it is, it's way outside their experience, and they're there on a quest and as they are engaging the quest and, and having to sacrifice and they're having to go beyond themselves, uh, you know, we are taken with that character and the, and the things that are developing in him or her through the adventure. Uh, often then the story arc returns them back to where their ordinary life was and they are forever changed. Because whatever goes on now in their ordinary life, if it's especially beautiful, they know there's, there's beauty beyond here. And I've been there. I've seen that. Or if there is darkness and evil where they are, they know it's darker and it's more evil in other places. I, I've been there. I've seen it. And so in other words, they've been shaped by uh, an experience that was larger than life. And that is something of what the Christian life is like. Because we are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of another world. And uh, we have another king. And he has uh, adventures that he calls us into. And it takes us out of ourselves and beyond ourselves. And we behold things in that context that are more beautiful than what we had previously seen and more dark and evil than what we had previously experienced. And in all of that, he's shaping us. And when we are in our ordinary life, we're different than what we had been previously. So that's kind of the, the need, the why, why it's important when we are heavenly minded, when we're engaging God for all he is and all that he's about, it is much larger than who we are. It takes us out of the mundane and it gives shape to our lives. So Paul says Christians should live as if they have died and gone to heaven. And he's going to make the case that, by and large, you really have, even though geographically you're still right here on planet Earth. Now think for just a moment about the converse, just the opposite of that. What would that be like? What if there was nothing beyond ourselves? What if this right here is all there is? Not only would that be incredibly sad and empty and meaningless, 
but it would open the door for incredible evil. Because if this is all there is, if, if it doesn't matter then, because there's not a next life, there's not a forever with God, uh, there's not the hope of a, a transformation of who I am and who you are and who we are. If, it, if it's all about eat, drink, and be merry, just get all you can and can all you get, rape the earth, become a millionaire, it doesn't matter because we all burn up and die and go away. That's the converse. That's the alternative. Paul says, the truth is, you have a citizenship in heaven and uh, it behooves you to be heavenly minded. So what is that? What's the nature of being heavenly minded? Now, from the scriptures, you can make the case uh, that there will be food in heaven. And we can only imagine. If so, it would be excellent. Uh, you can make the case uh, that there will be music in heaven. If so, you know it will be magnificent. Uh, the beauty will be beyond anything we've ever known. You can make the case for a number of things, but the, the, the matter of being heavenly minded is not just this, there's a superior experience lying ahead. That's not the nature of being heavenly minded. Uh, what Paul is going to say here and in his other readings is that uh, heavenly mindedness is beginning to see life and know life and experience life like Jesus because you are in Christ. And so to be clear, the essence of Christianity is not emulating or imitating Jesus, even though that, that's a good thing. It's not uh, just a matter of obeying Jesus, even though that's very important. It's, just, it's not just a matter of adoring Jesus or loving Jesus, all of which is super important. The essence of Christianity is being in Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, uh, and we'll revisit a little bit of that. To be in Christ means that everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. You are in Christ. And so God treats you as free from the guilt of your sin as he treats Jesus. The Father treats you as if you've lived the life Jesus lived. It is as if you lived a sacrificial life as Jesus sacrificed. This is why you can be called legitimately the beloved of God. Because it has nothing to do with your merit or lack thereof, your performance or lack thereof. It has everything to do with Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Now, all of that's wrapped up in one technical word, and that's the word justification. And sometimes we try to make complex words simple in their connotation. So maybe you've heard justification is like, it's just as if I never sinned. And that's not wrong, but it's ever so much more than that. Let me say it to you briefly this way, because we could talk a long time about uh, ju justification. 
Justification means that God sees you a certain way. And he sees you that way because of what Jesus has done. So maybe you heard the story not too long ago about a high school student. I think it was in New York. And, uh, you know, students were milling around in the hallway. And all of a sudden, student one brought his fist back and laid it on the jaw of student two and just laid him out, knocked him out. And just a few steps down the hall stood the principal and he saw, he witnessed the entire thing. So the next thing you know, the principal's running down the hall and he's yelling at student one, I saw that. What do you think you're doing? You're out of here. You're gonna be expelled. And he's announcing all of these decisions and judgments based upon what he saw. And the student immediately, student one, immediately protests and says, did you know what he's got in his pocket? Look in his pocket. And there, and the guy, the student number two, who's knocked out laying on the floor, has his hand in his pocket wrapped around a pistol, a gun. And the fact of the matter was, and all of this came out later, uh, student number two, who had brought a gun to school, was about to pull it out and shoot another student in proximity. And student number one actually had prevented a horrendous thing taking place. Immediately, the way the principal saw student one changed. He had seen student one from one perspective and it was full of judgment. And then immediately he saw student one from another perspective and it was heroic. That's the way justification works. God sees you for who you are and how broken and busted and sinful and condemned you are. We are until we are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, what the Father sees is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it immediately changes his perspective about you because of the heroic person and work of Jesus. And so, uh, friends, if you're constantly praying and thinking, oh God, I'm so sorry, I just suck at life, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna try better, oh, I did this sin all over again, would you forgive me one more time? And I just can't believe the, how pitiful, you know, I'm mad at the Christian life. If that's a little bit of your demeanor, friend, you don't get it. Now, your behavior matters because we are in a process of sanctification. We want to become a different people. But that doesn't impact the way God sees you when you are in Christ. When you are in Christ, he sees you and declares you to be holy, to be righteous, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be a joint heir with Christ, to be a conqueror. On and on and on we could go with what the Bible says about you because of who Jesus is. So that is the nature of what it means to be heavenly-minded. We know we are in Christ. We are no longer our own. We have died, and we have been raised up into a new life. 
So how do we live in that space? What's the practice of heavenly mindedness? How do you do it? He uses this analogy of putting off old garments, putting on new garments. So let's unpack that a little bit. As we uh, continue in the text, picking up verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality and impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. That's where you lived at one time before you were in Christ. But now you must put them all away. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So put on then as God's chosen ones. You're a chosen one. We're back into your identity. You're not a chosen one because you're a choice person, because you're a special person. You're a chosen one because you're in Christ. You are holy. You are beloved. So because those things are true, he says, put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, and here is the the key and the clue. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. How do we practice all this? I'm going to say more about that in a moment. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Okay, so how do we practice this? How do we actually live it out? How do we change the old garments and the new garments? How do we die to a former life and live to a new life? Uh, Here's what Paul's getting at, and we have the clue, if I can get that slide to change. Here we go. We have the clue in what he said that just as you have been forgiven, forgive others. And then all these other characteristics Friends, the way we practice heavenly-minded living is by becoming excellent at receiving the life of Jesus and being released from the former life. That's how the garments are changed. That's how we put to death one life put uh, and and, then live in the new raised life. Receiving and releasing, receiving and releasing. 
You receive forgiveness and you are released from guilt and shame and condemnation. Every time I have a problem with guilt and shame and condemnation, I need to freshly receive forgiveness. You see how that works? So that uh, if I'm living in a time of shame, that's not a time for me to go hide or to go isolate myself but that's a time for me to turn to my father who sees me as he sees Jesus and sees me as his beloved and say, I need fresh forgiveness. And I approach him in humility and confession, uh, but also in faith of what Jesus has done. I'm there in, in Christ. So, uh, we receive compassion from Jesus. And it releases us from anger, wrath, malice, slander, so many other things we could talk about. Uh, let me illustrate to you this way. Not too long ago, uh, three or four years ago, before COVID, everything's before COVID or after COVID, right? Um, I was doing a run through Marymore Park. And uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was actually beautiful, like today. And uh, as I was running the trail through Marymore Park, I had earbuds in, and I'm listening to Christian worship music. But I'm not worshiping. I'm not even paying attention to the music. Uh, God graciously approached me while I'm running and interrupted my thoughts. Now, you know that you think and you talk to yourself all the time. So that's not crazy people. That's all of us. You think, you have thoughts, and you're talking to yourself all the time. And occasionally, God is gracious, and he interrupts our self-conversation and allows us to overhear what we're saying, what we're thinking. And I had had a week in ministry where I didn't particularly feel like I had performed very well. And it's Sunday afternoon. I didn't think I delivered a message very well. And so I'm out there running, and I am running in self-condemnation. My self-talk was something like this. You're such an idiot. Why didn't you illustrate that better? And uh, people are going to know how incompetent you are now because of the way you did that this morning. And I'm going on and on with these self-condemnatory, shame-filled, uh, brutal kinds of comments toward myself. And not only does the Lord interrupt my thinking so that I can overhear these things, it then seems like God says to me, why would you talk to yourself like that? You don't talk to anyone like that. In other words, you've got more grace for others than you're having grace for yourself. Point being, in that moment, he was pouring compassion on me. And as I'm experiencing and receiving the compassion of the Lord, and I'm still running, right? I, that's how crazy we are. We can do all this uh, at the same time. While he's pouring compassion on me, I'm being released from the anger, from the self-hatred, from the self-condemnation and things like that. 
Now, you'll know uh, in the correspondence that Paul has with the Corinthians, he told them this. God is so gracious that he is aware of all of your circumstances, and he is comforting you in all your afflictions so that you may comfort others with the comfort you have received. See, that's the Christian life, friends. Receiving and releasing, receiving and releasing. You receive forgiveness, you can be forgiving to others. You receive grace, you can be full of grace toward others. You receive compassion, you can have compassion toward others and be free of anger, wrath, malice, slander, blah, blah, blah. And so whenever I've got anger going on inside of me, see, I not only want to pay attention to that like, stop it, <laughs> but I want to understand why. What's going on in me that I've been responding to it with anger and I want to look to the Lord. I want to be heavenly minded. I want to have him speak into my life about my anger so that I can be released from it. He goes on to say that uh, you'll, uh, in the, the resurrected life with the new garments, you'll be free of obscene talk and lying. How's that happen? Well, you receive kindness from him. And it impacts the stuff, the broken stuff that is a part of your old life. Uh, so I had another uh, situation. I'm, I'm just going to let you know how messed up I am. Um, where I was so unhappy with some performance that I had to do in my work, um, I was supposedly reading and studying, uh, and suddenly God interrupted my thoughts, and I could hear myself basically talking profanely to myself. The way we would say it in the South where I'm from, it, I was cussing out myself. Uh, with a self-degradation and a self-loathing that, you know, is a part of my broken past life. And uh, the Lord showed up with kindness and began to speak kindness into my life. And I got released from that kind of talk. I was in another situation with some friends, and they said, hey, how's it going? And uh, I started t talking, and rather than saying, uh, here's how it is in my heart with me and Jesus and so on, I started talking about my job. And I said, well, I've been doing this, and I've been doing that, and I've been doing the other, and I start talking about it in terms of accomplishment. And as I'm talking about how it's been going, I began to think, you know what? That doesn't sound that great. And so I started embellishing and expanding. I mean, that fish was way bigger than, you know, uh, the Bible word for that's lying. And so uh, when I got away from that friend, I'm like, what in the world was that? I just stood there and lied to a friend about how great life is and what a great performer I am. And God's kindness showed up in the moment of my self-anger. I could go on and on about this kind of stuff. Uh, we become excellent at receiving his life and being released from the former life and the old life. 
Uh, he says this, this happens uh, as you are experiencing and receiving humility. Now, that's one of those tricky ones. What is humility? The minute you, you feel like you're getting it, all of a sudden you're proud. So what is humility? And uh, to try to be clear, it's not thinking little of yourself or thinking poorly of yourself. I'm just a wretch. I'm not worth anything. There's no reason for you to have any valuing of my, you know. That's, that's not biblical humility. Biblical humility is not about self. It's about God. And so it's a heart that's inclined to make much of Jesus. And so when you find yourself thinking a lot about Jesus and making much of Jesus and uh, telling others about how Jesus is showing up in your life, that is humility. Because you're, you're not being self-centered and self-focused and self-obsessed in that moment. You are other-minded, heavenly-minded. And so when we receive that kind of humility, he's working in us in those kinds of ways, then our hearts are open to all these other things that Jesus wants to bring to us, kindness, compassion, love, peace, patience. He's, he's bringing these things, we're receiving these things, and then we are released to be able to be the same way. I'm, I'm able to be patient with others because I've been receiving a lot of patience from him. This is how the flow of life takes place. Set your mind on Christ. What's your mind on? What has had your focus? Has it been work, money, family? If I can just get that kid straightened out, life will be okay. Has it been your health? If this treatment would work, if, if I could just get that procedure, to, life will be okay. What's been the thing that's had your focus? This past week, um, Sherry and I made a new friend by the name of Dennis and his wife, Susan. And as we were sharing life and talking about, you know, how we've been experiencing the Lord through the years, they're, they're the same age we are, and come to find out that they had adult children and grandchildren, and, you know, you share all these stories. Somewhere along the way, um, as we were trusting each other more and getting a little more vulnerable, Dennis shared about the time that their 27-year-old son was in a terrible chapter of life, making a lot of bad choices. And ultimately, he made the ultimate bad choice, and he, he took his life. And as uh, they're sharing the story, uh, Dennis is able to say, but he was not my life. I loved him. He's a huge part of who I am. Uh, it was devastating. We were wrecked and racked with grief and pain. But because Jesus is my life, not my son or anybody else, we were able to survive and navigate those very, very hard days. 
So the question is, friends, what's your life? The truth is, Paul says, Christ is your life. And therefore, anything else that becomes too big, too important, too central to who you are, we are to declare, work, you're not my life. Health, finances, future concerns, retirement, that's not my life. Jesus, you are my life. And live in that space. Let's pray. Father, right now, your spirit is bringing to mind things or people that we've made too important. It's been close to being our life, if not our life. And so in this moment, we freshly come before you. Would you fill us with your life? Permeate, saturate us with your life. We are your people. We are your sons and daughter. We are the beloved. We are holy and righteous. We are citizens of heaven. We are joint heirs with Jesus and joint conquerors with Christ. By your grace, we will be who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.